0: afloat with Henry Morgan. Dolores feels that her plans will succeed. The Aztec necklet is almost once again within her grasp. Geoffrey Hunter has been taken and has disappeared and so will be blamed by Captain Morgan for the theft of the necklet. Dolores is in possession of Morgan's plans and so can affect his capture. All she has to do is wait for the ship to arrive, which is to take her back to Cuba. But fate has been working against Dolores. A Colonel Atterbury, who knows the real Antoinette de Lacey, has arrived in Jamaica, and after talking with Captain Morgan, they believe that the woman known as Antoinette is an imposter. So they return to await her homecoming. There they are discovered by Sir Thomas, to whom they tell all their suspicions. Together they watch Dolores' return, but it is too dark for the colonel to identify her. Upstairs, Dolores hears their voices and creeps down to hear them. She soon overhears their suspicions, and knowing that they can be verified, she escapes in a carriage. Hearing her go down the drive and seeing her in the coachman's seat convinces Morgan that she is an imposter and must be captured at once.
1: as your proof, Sir Thomas. The woman on that carriage driving away like that. The whole thing has just gone entirely beyond me. She must have been listening outside the door. She must have heard our voices and come downstairs to investigate. Well, she knows we're after her. That's why she's gone. Perhaps she isn't the Antoinette de Lacey I knew in England. She's a spy sent out by Spain. I wonder just how much she does know. Let's not waste any more time. She must be caught and brought back. Three horses, Sir Thomas, and at once. We must set off in pursuit. I'll not return to my ship until that woman is found. But I'm in my night attire. I'm not ready. I'll go and order the horses. And while they're being saddled, you throw some clothes on to Thomas. We've already wasted precious time.
0: Quickly, Captain Morgan seizes hanging bell ropes and continues pulling them until slaves with sleep in their eyes make their appearance. Hastily demanding three of the fastest horses, Morgan and Colonel Atterbury follow the slaves to the stables. Morgan's oaths hasten sleep from their bodies, and with nimble fingers the horses are bridled and saddled, as Sir Thomas makes his reappearance, still fumbling with obstinate buttons. Without a word, the three men swing up into the saddles, and the blood horses, sprightly and fresh, churn up the gravel beneath their hooves, splaying out sharp, stinging pebbles. Around the drive they swing and out onto the highway. The equipage is a long way out of sight, but their horses are fresh, unimpeded by a carriage. The sky in the east changes from grey to yellow and dawn gazes with amazement on this astonishing scene. The horse's nostrils become distended as he tries to outpace the other as it is urged on by its rider. Flecks of foam form around their mouths, their bodies stretch and their muscles strain. Down the road, around the curve, still an empty highway lies ahead. Lighter grows the sky. Slaves outworking from the first streak of daylight pause to watch the maddened horsemen. Around another bend, still an empty highway. And a fork in the road. Reins are pulled hard against mouths as the pace was checked. Snorting, panting, stamping. The horses are pulled to a standstill. Silence again. Except for the awakening birds.
1: (sighs) Well, which way now? Don't know. I can't see from the tracks. This highway is too well used. Well, to me, it looks as though she went this way. Look where the gravel is sprayed out, as though the fork was taken at a very high speed. You may be right, Captain Morgan, but she could have gone the other way. Well, there's only one way to find out. You take one road and I'll take the other. Oh, no, I'd, I'd better go back home. There's little use my coming with you. I can get things moving from government house. I'll call the militia out. I'll have the island searched from top to bottom, from side to side. You can call out the soldiers in my name, Sir Thomas. The ones who came with me in the convict ship. Right. We'd all better meet here at the crossroads again in one hour's time.
0: If she's ahead in the
1: carriage, we must catch up before then. Very well. The three of us meet here at the crossroads in
0: one hour's time. The bet bites deeply into the horse's mouth as Captain Morgan savagely pulls his head round. Startled, the beast rears in its hind legs, momentarily pawing the air. Then, feeling the urgency of its rider's haste, bounds with the speed of a sped arrow. The mad, urgent race is on again. Over the crest of rises, down the dips in the roads, on and on, forever urging greater speed. Around another curve, still an empty road. Cannot be that Colonel Atterbury is following the right trail? The road turns to a sharp incline. If Captain Morgan is right, the carriage can't be far ahead. Feeling the uphill grade beneath its hooves, the horse begins to labour. Making a break in the rhythm of its gallop, carefully Morgan nurses his mount. The crest of the hill is reached. The labouring horse readily responds to Morgan's restraining hand and comes to a halt. Eagerly, Captain Morgan scans downhill, and his quick eyes catches a moving object, the carriage down below... The chaser's end in sight. Digging his heels into the beast's flanks, the horse, refreshed by the brief respite, hardly lets its hooves touch the ground. Careless of any danger, horse and man speed onwards. Level ground has reached. The carriage sways on ahead. Slowly, ever so slowly, the distance between them lessens. But horse flesh is tiring. With the end so near, Captain Morgan spurs it on. Nearer, nearer. The air is filled with carriage wheels and galloping hooves. Nearer, nearer. The rear of the carriage is overtaken. Nearer, nearer. Riding alongside. Nearer, nearer. Level with the coachman's seat. But the coachman's seat is empty. Captain Morgan is chasing an empty runaway carriage. Gently edges nearer the other horse's head. Pace for pace, the two horses gallop together. Morgan reaches for the other horse's reins. Both horses tired are willing to be brought to a standstill. So, the witch's us.
1: Left the carriage to go careering on.
0: Leaving the horse and carriage at the roadside, Captain Morgan remounts and returns eventually to the fork in the road. He is late. The others are already awaiting him.
1: Well, Morgan, you'll return empty-handed just like I did. I saw no sign of her. Neither did I. But I found the carriage. You did? Where? It's some miles along the road. Sir Thomas, you've got to send some of your slaves out there to pick it up. The poor horse is one of a frazzle. He won't go far. And the girl, the girl masquerading as Antoinette, what of her? Uh, She's been far too smart for us, Sir Thomas. She was not in the carriage. Not in it. Why, what do you mean, Captain Morgan? Where is she? That I don't know, Colonel Atterbury. This woman must have realized that the chase would not be far behind her and that our horses would be fresher and would soon outpace her carriage. So, having got what she considered a safe distance between herself and us, she no doubt pulled her carriage up and then dismounted. She must then have whipped the horse into a gallop and sent it careering along the road on its own. Then where do we start to look? Where, where do you think she could be hiding? <laughs> I right now, Sir Thomas, she could be anywhere. Well, Morgan, she won't get very far because I have aroused the militia. I also called out all Colonel Atterbury's troops aboard the convict ship. She won't be able to escape us. The soldiers will find her before long and bring her back. Have no fear of that. <laughs> I wish I had your confidence. But don't you see, Captain Morgan, Jamaica is an island. She can't possibly get off it. How do we know? When do we know what arrangements she might have made in preparation for such a circumstance? Uh, she's a clever woman. And I somehow think, Colonel Atterbury, that we've been completely outwitted by a woman. But I've called out the troops. She can't have got very far. She can't yet have got into the wilderness to hide. The soldiers will recapture her, you see, Morgan. No, Sir Thomas. This woman has been far too smart for us ever since the very beginning... I somehow feel that she has made preparations for such an occurrence. But how could she? No, Morgan, I think you're making a mistake. She is in flight trusting to luck. I don't think she's the kind of person who would leave things to luck. I can't help remembering everything that we know about this woman. What exactly do we know about her? Well, I'm thinking of how well she must have planned this whole thing. It takes courage and careful plotting to do what she did, to set out from Cuba, masquerading as a kinswoman of the governor of Jamaica. Yes, there was very little that she left to chance. The only possible thing that could happen to expose her was the arrival of you, Colonel Atterbury, someone who knew her in England. And it did happen. But that chance was so very remote, it was a chance that she had to take, and so she took it. Yes, there was very little, Sir Thomas, that she knew about your family, if you remember. Yes. Coming to think about it, she was always reluctant to discuss the family in my home. Yes, I can remember many conversations we had, and always when I mentioned it, she switched the conversation. There was always something else to talk about. Yes, I remembered all that, but at the time you didn't seem to notice it. No. No, it, it's only by comparing those times to what we know now that I realize. Yes, and then there was the brazen way in which she blamed you, Sir Thomas, at the time that I found her in my cabin. She told me that tale with such conviction that I, well, I believed her. And of course, she knew that I didn't trust you. And there are dozens of incidents that I could call to mind that showed just how carefully she'd laid her plans and how little risk she was really taking. Now I come to think of it, that is why, Sir Thomas, that even the sudden plans for her escape will be made. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we never set eyes on her again. And can't you see the position in which I am placed? Why, Morgan, when this becomes public gossip in Jamaica, I will be the laughing stock in all Port Royal. I'm little at all concerned about you, Sir Thomas. What is worrying me is my own future plans. I don't know what the woman knows of them. Maybe she knows too much already. That's why we must catch her. Now, just exactly what could she have learned? Nothing, nothing at all. Never have I discussed with her any of your plans. She knows absolutely nothing. By heavens! I know what she might have done and to where she might have gone. That woman formed a great attachment with Geoffrey Hunter. Do you remember? I wonder could she have gone back to my ship, the Flying Gull, to see him. Sir Thomas, Colonel Atterbury, let us return to the Flying Gull at once.
0: But there is a surprise awaiting Captain Morgan when he returns to his ship, the Flying Gull. There is a dead man in his cabin. The famous Aztec necklet has been stolen, and Jeffrey Hunter is missing. And what of Kitty? It is long past dawn. Has Diaz got her and the Aztec necklet? Make sure you hear the next episode of Afloat with Henry Morgan.